Thank you, John. Good morning to everybody. It's great to see everybody today, really is. And we're so thankful to have this opportunity to be together. And uh, again, I'll say again, I, I hope as you're driving around town and out of the edge of town, and if you uh, are going to venture kind of out in the country a little bit, lift up your eyes, look at all the beautiful colors that God's decorated the landscape with right now. Brilliant, just magnificent colors. And we're so thankful to be able to observe those and enjoy those and I uh, keep telling my wife as we're driving along and we took a little short trip of just for a few days late this week, uh, see family and, and grandkids down in central Missouri, the, the colors seem so brilliant, so magnificent this year. And uh, boy, how blessed we are. God is the, is the great designer and the great decorator. So that really just helps you know, bolster our faith in God, that he created it all. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're so thankful that you're here. We're thankful for all of our regular members always, but our visitors, extra special because you've chosen to go out of your way and come and visit with us, worship God with us, kind of check us out. Get to know us, let us get to know you. We do hope you'll come back as often as you have the opportunity. And if you have any questions about anything you hear us say or see us do, please ask. We simply want to be the church we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. So please do get with us and ask if you have any questions. This morning, I want us to, I want us to think about three things that overcome the devil. I've often referred to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And there the apostle Peter wrote by inspiration about the devil. He said, you know, beware, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now the devil is real. There are a whole lot of people who try to discount the devil, but they also try to a great extent to discount, at least a lot of them, discount God. They don't want to think about there actually being a place called hell, although the scriptures are plain that it exists. And they would like there to be a place called heaven, but they may not give too much emphasis to that either. They want to try to put the reality of the spiritual realm out of their minds because they don't want to have to live responsibly before that and within that reality. So the devil, real? Absolutely. The scriptures talk about him over and over again. And he's real, he's powerful, and he's seeking yours and mine's destru mind destruction for eternity. He wants to bring us down by bringing us away from God, or at least bringing us into sin. And since that brings us away from God, he wins if we start to live that life of sinfulness. Now, three things that overcome the devil. First, let's stop and think about two different names that are ascribed to the devil in the scriptures. Two different names identify his character and his posture toward mankind, toward humanity, toward you and toward me. And the first one is simply devil. He's referred to as the devil. In the Greek, it is diabolos, and it means an accuser or a slanderer. When we think about 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3, there's a listing of sins, and Paul does this in a number of his letters. And in this particular list, he actually uses this term this term rendering in a, in, in a list of sins 
false accusers, King, ja uh, King James Version, and also this very term, uh, slanderer, in the New King James Version. Another name or designation for the devil that is used is that word Satan. And in the Greek it is satanas, and, and it means an adversary. When you stop and think about an accuser, a slanderer, an adversary, both of these names, both of these terms really blend together. An adversary, one who stands against. And remember 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 refers to him as your adversary. One who is against you. He's an enemy basically. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1 in the American Standard Version uses this very rendering in reference to the devil. The King James Version seeks, uh, speaks of him as resisting, and the New King James Version talks about him as being in opposition. Different translations, but all talking about the same thing and giving us a broader perspective of what this particular name of the devil means, and we ought to take that very seriously. When we think about the book of Job, we actually want to think about the character of Job. And in chapters 1 and 2, what do we see the devil doing in regards to Job? He is certainly his adversary. He's petitioning God, let me have Adam. Let me work him over. And God says, he is faithful. He is righteous. You can have some latitude, but you can only go so far. And so the devil works over Job, works on him. But Job stays faithful to God. But he... He was there as his adversary. He was there as his accuser. He was there as his slanderer. But Job stayed faithful to God. So we see all of these characteristics played out on the part of the devil in regards to how he worked over Job. But when we think about how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5 verses 8 and 9, we see that in our lives, don't we? Don't we always confront con uh, all kinds of temptations, one after another, of different kinds, and particularly the temptations that may really work upon us individually because we find ourselves weak in different areas? Well, sure, the devil is our adversary, he's our enemy. He is our slanderer, he is our accuser, he is trying to bring us down and lead us to eternal condemnation in hell. Three things by which we can overcome the devil. But now let's look at what John read a few moments ago in, in Revelation 12, verses 9 through 11. And so <clears throat> this is depicting something pre-humanity as far as history is concerned. A war in heaven. We don't have time to go into the entire text. But the devil rose up and tried to basically usurp God's throne, take over heaven. And so he had deceived and led a contingent of angels to follow him and turn against God. And so there was war in heaven. Now we're talking about the spiritual realm again, and we're talking about, as I understand it, pre-human uh, pre history. So something that took place in heaven before God ever created mankind is what it seems to come across to me. And so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, both terms used for him that we've just looked at in this one short text of scripture who deceives the whole world. It was a deceiver. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, he is an accuser, remember, 
the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God. He is a slanderer. He is an adversary, one who stands against us, our enemy, who accused them before God day and night has been cast down and they overcome, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to death. How can we escape? How can we overcome? How can we beat the devil? Three ways God has provided for us. Now you might be able to stop and think and say, you know, and I see some other blessings that God has bestowed upon us or at least offers us by which we can overcome the devil. But let's look at these three basic ones. We can overcome the devil through the blood of Christ. And I would say that's the most powerful of all of these particular techniques or avenues through which all of these tools that God has blessed us with, all of these ways to be able to overcome the devil. Now, if you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, you know, I don't really have that much problem with the devil. Or you may know people in your life who might say, no, I don't really have that much problem with the devil. You better be on guard because you may be right on the verge there of deceiving yourself because we all have problems with the devil because he's always trying to bring us down, trying to lead us to eternal condemnation. But we can overcome the devil through the blood of Christ. The devil's methodology for our destruction is to lead us into sin because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse three, uh, 23. But also God, the rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God warns, and you can go all the way back, the way back to Genesis chapter two and verse 17, where God warned that first man that he created upon this earth, put him in the garden of Eden, wherein God had provided all of the necessities to sustain his life physically. But he says, now here's one tree, and that's the tree, of the, uh, that's the tree of life. As long as you continue to eat the fruit of that particular tree, you will live forever, physically even. But there's another tree in this garden, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you don't even go near that tree. You stay away from it, you don't touch it, you don't eat the fruit thereof, for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And God was talking about more than just physical death. And then in chapter 3 of Genesis, who shows up on the scene right away? The devil. Taking the form, the deceptive form of a serpent, and he begins working on that woman and leading her into succumbing to the temptation that he confronts her with, and he uses her to lead her husband into sin as well. And sin separates us from God. Isaiah chapter, uh, uh, chapter uh, 59, verse 1. So, so God has already warned them, but they drift into sin. And then everything changes that day for mankind. That's the devil's technique. That's his methodology, trying to get us to sin because sin separates us from God. And the ultimate consequence of sin, if we don't repent of it and, and seek God's forgiveness and, and thereby overcome the devil, his way, then it's our eternal destruction. God offers us, however, deliverance, redemption, and forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption. God offered his son on that cross, and what does the word redeem mean? To buy back, to buy us back. He, he offered his son to pay the price through his physical death on that cross for the guilt of our sins. So we, in him, we have redemption through his blood shed on that cross 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians chapter one, beginning with verse 13, God offers us again deliverance, redemption, forgiveness through the blood of Christ. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Paul's writing this to people who've already become Christians, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And his blood was shed on the cross specifically for the opportunity for us to be redeemed, forgiven, bought back. Jesus told the apostles in the night of his, of his, of his betrayal, as he instituted what we just celebrated, remembered the Lord's Supper. He said, this is my blood, when he gave them the cup of the fruit of the vine. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, in becoming a Christian, the Lord adds us to his church, Acts 2 and verse 47. And we can need to understand that we have been purchased by his blood as, as we became Christians. Acts 20 and verse 28, Paul's talking to the elders of the, of, of the church in Ephesus. And he says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood, with his own blood. We think about the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross, and some, some people might wonder, well, why did there have to be such a sacrifice? Why did Jesus have to leave heaven and come to this earth and become man and die that physically brutal, barbaric kind of execution on that cross? because our sins are so bad, because of our sin condition was and is so bad without Christ, without his sacrifice for us. We need to understand how horrible sin is by consequence. Now we could look around us and see examples in relationships that we know about, probably some within our own family, extended, at least extended family relationships. We can see how how husbands you know, mistreat their wives. We can see how wives mistreat their husbands. We can see how, how evil people do things that are so bad against other people, even to the point of murder. But even before that, all kinds of evil things they, they commit against other people. So we can see the consequences of that. We can see the result of, of even family members, but friends, work associates, neighbors, and so on who succumb to various temptations of sin and sinfulness, that they, they pay a terrible price as a result. And their families may pay, pay, pay a terrible price as well. But we were purchased with his own blood as we became Christians and he added us to his church. He had to die on that cross physically because sin is so bad. And sin has such horrible consequences. We were sanctified with his blood. Hebrews 10 and verse 10, by that will, God's will, we have been sanctified, set apart from the world through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then chapter 13 and verse 12, therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. He bore our sins upon his physical body as he hung on that cross. 
paying that price for us, dying in our place so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved, so that we could be sanctified. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, to bear our sins that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the ages he's appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now you think sin is not a bad thing? You think playing around with sin is rather inconsequential, not a big deal? God had to sacrifice his son on the cross because of our sins. It's a big deal. Jesus had to leave heaven and be made a little lower than the angels in that he became human long enough that he could die on that cross instead of us dying eternally. We can have the opportunity through et for eternal life through the blood that he shed on that cross. We can overcome the devil through the blood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now the devil's no match for God. The devil's no match for Jesus. But God gave us free will to make up our minds. And oh, how often we make the wrong choices. The second way that God has provided that we can overcome the devil is through the word of God. How much do we read God's word? How much do we study God's word? How much do we know God's word? He has given us his word to guide us into faith. Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We can overcome the devil through the word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We understand what a sword is able to do, is capable of. God has given us a spiritual sword in the form of his word to guide us to be able to defeat the devil in all of the temptations that he might throw against us. And we need to pay heed to that and use his word, study it. God's word is not like any other book that man has written because it was written by men who were guided by God to write his very word. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed. It is God's very word. But we read books, don't we? We read novels. We read history books. We read newspapers. We read magazine articles, on and on and on. But nothing, none of those even begin to remotely compare to the word of God, to the Bible. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 how unique is God's word? How unique are the scriptures? Well, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How many times might you open up God's word, you begin to read and you come across something and you say, wow, that is exactly what I have been experiencing. That is exactly what I have been thinking. Because God's word is living and powerful. It's not like anything that man writes on his own. Matthew 4 and verse 4, he answered and said, Jesus speaking here, it is written. Now, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to that slanderer. He's speaking to that adversary. He's speaking to that enemy of mankind. Jesus was in human form while still being fully divine, but he's in the wilderness. He had fasted for 40 days. And so you would think, okay, at his weakest point perhaps, at the end of the 40 days, the devil appears in the scene. He starts tempting him. And so after the first temptation, Jesus responds, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil threw another temptation at him. Verse 7, Jesus responded again, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Devil wasn't finished, he threw another temptation at him. And again, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. The devil then, the response, Three times the devil, uh, Jesus defeated the devil in his temptations and his attempts to try to lure him into sin by simply referring to the word of God and saying it is written. I'm not going to give in to that temptation because of what God's word says it is written. And the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Our souls are purified through our obedient response to the word of God. That's how powerful it is again. It teaches us how to come to God in obedience through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. Peter wrote, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And the truth is God's word, John 17 and verse 17. Through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's how powerful God's word is. It is powerful to change lives, to change lives. Think about how it is put here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. Paul, the apostle, wrote, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, he's writing this to the church, to the Christians in Corinth, in that particular congregation, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Now that word begotten means, or to begat means to bring to life. It's a birthing kind of term. And when we look in James chapter 1 and verse 18, James writes, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And he's talking about Christians there again. Those who have become Christians, those who have overcome the devil through the blood of Christ and by the word of God. They have come to understand God's word to teach them how to be forgiven, how to be redeemed, how to be saved, how to be sanctified. And they responded in obedience and thereby they were brought forth 
They were born again spiritually through the word of God. The gospel message of God's word of Jesus Christ, how to come to God through Jesus, and Jesus said that's the only way to God, John 14 and verse 6, only through him. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Power in that word. Power of God. To salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, Paul wrote, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica, Christians there. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to God through Jesus by the word, by the word. So we can overcome the devil through the blood of Christ. We can overcome the devil through the word of God because it teaches us how to overcome the devil. And we can also overcome the devil through faithful, consistent dedication to God and obedient dedication to God. And let me say, if you throw out any one of these, then you've negated the other two. Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Faithfulness to God, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that we live every day of our lives. Even in the face of threats, the early apostles, they responded in dedication. The Jewish leadership said, don't teach in the name of this Jesus anymore. And they threatened them. And then they even beat them. But look in Acts chapter 4, verses 17 through 20, the response of the apostles. Now, the advice among the Jewish authorities was so that it spreads no further. That is, Christianity spreads no further. The teaching of Jesus as the Savior and the Son of God spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them, that is, the apostles, that from now on they speak to no, to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them, commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. What was the response of the apostles? Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then drop down to verse 29, they start to pray. Now, Lord, look on their threats, the threats of these who have threatened us warning us, commanding us not to teach your word anymore, not to teach in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, any longer. Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, and they're talking about themselves, they may speak your word. They prayed for boldness to continue to preach and teach the gospel of Christ. We need to set our minds on things above from a spiritual focus. Colossians chapter three, beginning with verse one, Paul wrote, if then you were raised with Christ, if you become Christians, if you were born again in obedience to Christ, 
then he says, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, when he comes again on that final day of judgment, then you will appear with him in glory. Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He's just been talking about the necessities of life. In other words, it says, keep God first. Be dedicated, be consistent, be obedient. Be transformed from the way we used to live our lives before we became Christians to now understanding that we have a new life in Christ. Romans 12, beginning with verse one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformed, a new mindset. As John the Apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, if that's our primary focus in life, he says, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We have that home waiting for us in heaven that Jesus has gone to prepare if we will live our lives faithfully, obediently, consistently in him by his teachings. Romans 12 and verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're supposed to be shining lights. We're supposed to be seasoning salt. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We can help a whole lot of people put away their ungodly lifestyles through our consistent example of Christianity. Faithful, dedicated, obedience, a life lived for God through Christ. And they can see that and they can see the better way and become Christians themselves. Now, what have we been talking about? You can overcome the devil through the blood of Christ as you're baptized for the remission of your sins. When many of the Jews on Pentecost asked, what shall we do? Peter responded and he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we're baptized, buried in the waters, immersed in those waters, as Jesus was buried in that tomb, the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses us of the guilt of our sins. And as we come up out of that water, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, we're rising up to walk a new life. We've been born again spiritually. You can overcome the devil by faithfully living your life by the teachings of God's word because they teach us the way of righteousness. They teach us the way of godliness. They teach us the way of Christianity. You can overcome the devil through faithful, active dedication to God. 
living by his teachings, consistently recognizing this is a lifestyle and it's the best life that a human being can live because it's a life in Christ. It's a life of having been forgiven, having been redeemed, having been born again, having been saved, having been sanctified, set apart from the world. Now, God has provided three ways for you to overcome the devil. You don't need to fall into his prey. God has provided three ways to overcome the devil. Are you utilizing what God has provided for you? It comes down to a personal decision, doesn't it? A personal matter. God has made the way. Are you utilizing that way? If you're ready to become a Christian, not what the world calls Christianity, but what God's word calls Christianity, by repenting of your sins, confessing your faith openly in Christ, and surrendering in baptism so the blood that he shed on the cross for you can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins, and you can be born again, and you'll be redeemed and saved then we encourage you to take that step this morning. If you need to study about that some more, we'd love to study with you or make the way for you to study on your own if you'll just ask us. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever the reason might be, we'd love to humbly and at the same time thankfully pray with you and for you. If you just ask us, if you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing.